Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 11, Scarecrow. Let's get this show on the road. Before we get started, Drew, I know you have a fear of mannequins, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to know how you feel about scarecrows. Funny enough, not an issue. I I know that sounds very weird. I don't think I've ever really seen a scarecrow that's bothered me, except for ones where, like, I can picture once or twice they've legitimately used a mannequin and just, like, basically put Mm. it up like a scarecrow, in which case that's kind of cheating. But (laughs) the, like, classic, like, thing stuffed with hay... I, I mean, I have Halloween stories I can share later, but generally, no, I, I don't. They don't bother me the same way. All right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. So we're safe for this episode. Mm-hmm. We can go ahead and talk about it and you're going to feel comfortable. 100%. Speaking of talking about it. It's time for the recap. All right. So I'll count you in. Three, two, one. We open on a small town with a bunch of townsfolk who are just oh so perfect and jolly and happy and nothing could ever go wrong. And they help the lovely couple get on their way and their car, though they just got it repaired, breaks down right out of town at the end of the day. Oh, what are the odds? And they enter the creepy field and they point out the creepy mannequin or uh, creepy scarecrow. Sorry, you got me twisted here. And of course, (laughs) it has a face that looks like it's made of bloody human skin sewn together. And there's no way it'll come to life and attack them. So it comes to life and attacks them. Uh, We eventually, I don't know why she runs towards this house barn and then decides not to run towards it and goes back towards where the Scarecrow is. And clearly the two of them don't make it. We get back to the brothers where we pick up on that phone call from John. And Sam is really not like down for the whole, I'm just giving you orders, do what I say. And is trying to get John to like give him more information. And then Dean takes the phone and goes, yes, sir. One minute. Oh, God, it was a timer thing. Um, <laughs> uh, so Dean's like, yes, we're going to do this. They start going into the town. Sam starts arguing with him and eventually leaves, starts hitchhiking, meets Meg, who's totally not going to end up being a crazy murder chick, I decided, but clearly she will be. Uh, Dean goes to the town. They don't like him. He tries to stop them from doing the same thing they've been doing to other people in the past. But unfortunately, they run him out of town, but he makes it back anyways and saves them. And then he gets captured while doing research, because of course he would, and ends up uh, being sacrificed along with the only other young girl in the town, who is the granddaughter of the couple who's doing this whole thing. But then Sam, who can't get a hold of him, realizes, no, family does matter, and I don't care about Meg anymore, we're going to California, and I'm going to come back and save you, Dean. And he comes back and he saves Dean, and they're all happy, and everyone's, the day is saved, and hooray and yay. Woohoo! Wow, you just made it 12 seconds. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, with the 12 seconds, the only thing I really left out was the Scarecrow does, in fact, end up getting a sacrifice. It kills the old folks, and they end up burning the tree anyways. Yeah, there you go. Um, Did I miss anything? All right. I know. I feel like I feel like three <laughs> minutes. Three minutes is like I have time to go, like, make a coffee and come back and finish. But, like, two minutes is like there's a gun to my head. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, usually you do really well with the two-minute ones, but this one you got really carried away in the cold open. Like, Sorry. <laughs> It's just there's so much to unpack there. It was clearly something that you liked about it. Yes. So, yeah, you got really carried away in the first minute. Um, but no, I mean, in terms of the long game, I feel like you really hit the points that were important. 
Uh, I'm just going to reiterate, like, mm-hmm. we meet Meg, who actually comes back. Yeah, I'm going to um, assume, based on the phone call she makes at the very end, I loosely say phone call, <laughs> yes. there's going to be some continuity with her and her um, involvement in the brothers' lives. Certainly. Mm-hmm. So we meet Meg, which is wonderful. And we also find out about Dean's love for pie. Yeah, I'm totally on board. Everybody loves pie. You know that I say this frequently. Well, with those good words, are we ready to move into story time? Yeah, let's take me in. Let's go. So, Drew, you'd mentioned last week that you were pretty sure that the brothers were going to blow up at each other soon, right? Yeah, Um. they not only blew up at each other, they basically just had an episode of our podcast in the car. Like... <laughs> They literally just said things we said in previous episodes discussing how they need to let things out and what they should need to say to each other. Uh, Yeah. It was cathartic to see it happen. I think it needed to happen. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was very one-sided, though. Mm. Well, that's going to be my question. Oh, sorry. So please ask Did enough of it happen? (laughs) I think uh, right off the bat, no, but I think it's a good start. Okay. Sam has aired what he is feeling. Mm -hmm. Dean clearly has taken it in, and though he does not, you know, rebute properly, he just pushes it down, as you mimed. It is very much a just, I'm putting this behind me, but at least it's out in the air that Sam Sam has these feelings. Dean is Mm -hmm. now aware of them. And again, to jump a bit to the end of the episode, when they kind of have that last little moment together, where Dean, of course, goes back to the making jokes about things. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be kissing my ass and all that stuff. Or at least Sam does, actually, for once. There's a little less of the emotional <laughs> one. It it still, it, to me, feels like it comes across that Dean is accepting what Sam is saying. Okay. While not necessarily taking the steps that need to be taken to rectify them. He's saying, mm-hmm. listen, I hear you. Mm-hmm. That's what I can start with. You know what? I actually completely agree with what you're saying. Um, let's start at the beginning, though. Yeah, let's rewind. Okay, let's take us back to the the, the top of the episode mm-hmm. where, you know, because I feel like if we're going to start looking at this, we have to start breaking it down from the beginning. You know, when John finally calls the boys, yeah. as you mentioned in the recap. So Sam clearly demands answers. Like, he doesn't ask for them. He demands them. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, when Dean gets the phone, he tenses up like the second he hears John's Mm -hmm. voice and he goes, yes, sir. Now, remember, John is an ex-Marine. Okay. Oh, I forgot about that, actually. So when you hear his son say, yes, sir, like what I'm reading is that he trained Dean to answer to him the way that he would to a commanding officer. Yeah. And so what does that say about their relationship? Not the healthiest one. Let's just put it Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know many troopers. I mean, and I, and I, I will admit, I play a lot of online video games, which I say only because a lot of the people I meet playing online do happen to be either active or ex-military. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever really known anyone in the military, whether it be very briefly or longer term, who has mm-hmm. looked at a sergeant or someone who you know was in a controlling position as a father figure. So to have your yeah. father figure treat you like you're one of his Marines probably doesn't make for the most loving relationship, which I don't think really comes as a surprise to anyone who's watched even this much of the show. But this phone call really is, it it, it does a lot to just 
reinforce, I don't think it really gives us new information, but it really just reinforces mm-hmm. what we already know about them. It kind of acts like a really nice summary up to this point. Mm-hmm. So even if you were completely new to the show coming in, right away you see Sam is both headstrong, but looking for answers and just wants to do what he... I, I think Dean even calls him selfish at one point, and I, I don't want to agree with that because I don't think what he's doing is selfish. But he is looking at the, I want my end of the story. I want mm-hmm. this to be over so I can get out. Albeit, yeah. ultimately, to save his father, make sure his father is safe, and hopefully maybe avenge their mother and his girlfriend. Like, his selfish goals are really not that selfish. Well, so it's interesting because I I I hadn't really seen it that way. And I think that you're totally right because in the show, like we're led to believe that this is the dynamic between, mm-hmm. you know, the brothers and their dad. But here we really get to see it. Yeah. Right. We see it happen in real time, whereas before it was just hinted at. And so that really crystallizes what we think of John and the boys. And you're actually like segueing in really nicely to my next uh, point because when we move a little bit later into the car and Sam goes like you don't even question him and Dean replies yeah it's called being a good son right so that's just before he calls him selfish let's I mean mm-hmm. you've started unpacking it a little bit so if I can if I can start please there, please please to me like that whole conversation is just so typical of siblings who have grown up in unstable environments mm-hmm. you know the older one uh, has given up a lot to shield the younger one uh, during formative years and that comes at a price right you have to soothe and somewhat like enable the parental figure to avoid outbursts and you think it's your job to do that right and mm-hmm. so in doing what john tells him for dean like that's That's being a good son. And so Dean reads Sam's behavior as selfish, like you said. Um, Because if Dean had just done what he wanted to do and had left Sam with John, he he knows that Sam would have been worse off. Uh, So he stayed for him. And like we've discussed before, like Sam's not aware of how much Dean has done and sacrificed for him. Yeah, because you don't see it. You don't think about, you know, he's doing these things and because he's mm-hmm. doing this, he's not doing other things. He's not being a kid. He is being a guardian. It's not like he yeah. was a kid, gave it up, became a guardian. He has always been that way. So there's mm-hmm. no comparison to be made. We as outsiders can see it, but yeah. He was way too young when he was pushed into a caretaking role. Um, He had to care for his little brother. I mean, he was four years old, probably taking care of his of his baby brother and so and that continued on so yeah anyway we'll move to more analysis of that later when we find out a bit more information for now let's stay on track yes i hear you rochelle <laughs> uh, let's st- <laughs> for now let's stay on track and move on uh to a bit later in the episode where when they're talking on the phone right mm-hmm. and the fight starts to get smoothed out a bit Uh, when Dean tells Sam he admires him for wanting his own thing and standing up to John. So clearly, like, again, remember when we talked about the things that Dean says and the things he actually means? Mm -hmm. So here we get another example, right? He says that Sam is selfish. But then a bit later, when he's had time to cool down, he says that he actually admires him for wanting his own thing and standing up to John. You know, he tells him that he's proud of him and he tells him to take care of himself. And the tone of the conversation 
to me, again, is much more parental than it is brotherly. And I also want to take another stab at the same scene. So you cover the first thing I wanted to say is it really comes across as parental. And Mm -hmm. I think there's even a level of Dean wishing he could do that but can't. Yes, definitely. Now, have you ever known or seen this trope in TV, movies, books, and unfortunately even in real life? I know a few people who follow this where people come out as LGBTQ and their families basically just ignore that and treat them as if nothing is different. And they do everything yes. they do to stay in the good graces because at this point they're already on thin yeah. ice. Yes. Maybe Dean can't say anything against dad because he's already on a very uh, tight leash for certain reasons. Of course. Of course, Drew. <sighs> You're so right. I mean... <sighs> oh, Dean! Dean! <laughs> oh. If John could just accept you and let you be happy. Let's move on to the resolution of this conflict. Yes. Okay? Because the, the the resolution to this is really telling to me. Like, it says a lot. Because when Sam can't reach Dean and he decides to ditch Meg and go after him, mm-hmm. she asks why, and he replies, he's my family. But let's remember, Sam's not running after some John Doe. He's running after John Winchester, his <laughs> father, right? He's not. He's running after family, yet... Certain people are a little more important. There you go. It's, you know, I I mean, it's almost that whole like found family type trope. It's mm. weird to see that in a sense where the found family is literally family, but, but that happens too. But it's, it's such an interesting take on it that he really does. I I didn't even clock till you said it, but he's literally abandoning the hunt to go save a family member to go save a different family member. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. Again, if I can like just dig into like my own, my personal experience, my sister and I didn't speak for a little while during our, our twenties. Um, and like when we, when we reconnected, it felt like not only were we blood family, but on top of it, like we found each other, you know, we, we were actively and we still are actively choosing to keep that bond alive and well and to cherish that bond because we have both decided that this is an important thing for us and so that's why i say that blood family can be found family even if found family is not always blood family it's because it's chosen family it's you're you're taking someone who for all intent and purpose was more or less removed from your life in that sense Mm -hmm. Not like Mm -hmm. you, like, were scolding your sister and, like, cutting her out and, like, never, like, you disregard her existence, but you were not close. And then something happened and the two of you reconnected and you chose to reconnect that. Exactly. And I think that says a lot. Are we ready to switch gears a little bit? As you know, I always search for a theme in the episodes and I have something to offer. The word actually shows up in the dialogue and I I, I, I always get excited when I hear this, right? Um, so I think that the theme of this episode is sacrifice and we get, a, we get a couple of definitions of it and we also get a few instances of sacrifice. Like, can you think of a couple? I've got four, but one of them isn't fully flushed out yet. Okay, go ahead. The first and most obvious one is the town's actual sacrifice they're doing, yep. which starts yep. out as complete strangers mm-hmm. and then eventually grows to be Dean and the uh, young girl in the village, Emily. Who is mm-hmm. the granddaughter of the, uh, I don't want to say they're like the main villainous couple. It's actually, she's actually their niece. Oh, their niece. I'm sorry. Yes. And I have questions about that okay. for critical time. Oh, we'll definitely look into that. 
but I just feel like that's like the first instance of like they're putting the town ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see that in both the, I guess it's aunt and uncle, not grandmother, grandfather, sorry. Uh, you see that in the aunt and uncle where the uncle is so, you can so tell he doesn't want to. And the mm-hmm. aunt, like I commented while watching it, feels so cold and so calculated about it. Like she knows she doesn't mm-hmm. want to, but knows mm-hmm. there's no other way and doesn't want to let her emotions show until literally the last second. Okay. Uh, the second one is then the fact that they themselves become sacrifices. Uh, the yep. aunt and uncle are the ones that are taken in the end. And mm-hmm. I think the big takeaway from that is that they keep saying, like, what makes sacrifice hard is giving up something you wouldn't want to give up. And right. the reality is they're almost scapegoating it by giving up a young person with a life ahead of them versus mm-hmm. taking the bullet and doing it themselves. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's that that's just, that's, I mean, that's purely a sign of greed. That is a sacrifice mm-hmm. with no actual value to it. Like, yes, it checks mm-hmm. the box for the scarecrow, but mm-hmm. the reality of what they're saying is they're lying to themselves to save their own skin because. Yeah. And about save their own skin literally. was not what I meant. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> but yeah, not what I was going yeah. through there. I have a couple more instances of sacrifice, if you don't mind uh, me adding to your list. Yeah, please go ahead. I've got a few more, so I'm curious to see if we'll cross yeah. over. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So there's also the the hinting at Dean's sacrifices for Sam, mm-hmm. right? Because Dean has sacrificed a lot of himself and his youth for Sam. Um, like you mentioned, the aunt and uncle sacrificing Emily, the actual human sacrifices. Um, but there's also Sam sacrificing his own mission in order to go save Dean. See, this is where I was going. I knew that definitely within oh, the brothers, okay. there was a sacrifice being made. I just couldn't really put my yeah. finger on it right away. And I needed some time to think. But you're right. They both do make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I think you can even go as far as saying Dean understanding Sam and basically giving him his blessing to go yeah. can be seen as a sacrifice. It's letting him go. It's saying, like, you need to go follow your Ooh. heart and be yourself. I can't be greedy and keep you to myself. Mm, so he sacrifices, like, his own... Well, not his own well-being, but I mean his, like his own comfort in seeing Sam, for Sam to be happy. There's like, I couldn't put a word on it, but that's what it is. It's, he's giving up the parental role. He is saying you're old enough to fly on your own. You don't have to stay in the nest. It's like a mama bird letting her baby go for the first time. It's, I believe in you. And though I don't want to let you go, I know I have to. And then I think the last one we haven't touched on that I think punctuates this so nicely is Meg. Ooh, go ahead. She is the extreme opposite end of the spectrum as we've been looking at the town went from making meaningless sacrifices to a meaningful sacrifice to ultimately against their will making the most meaningful sacrifice of giving their own Mm. life for something we've then seen the brothers making their own sacrifices giving up their mission giving up their connection and ultimately things work the way they do and then we have the other end of the spectrum which is meg who is making completely meaningless sacrifices to further, in this case, it's to use her magic goblet to call her dad. Yeah, whatever that is. She does sacrifice, like, her own ego because she says, I could have taken them. So, in a way, she sacrifices, like, her own ego in order to follow the plan that's being laid out by this quote-unquote father. Agreed. I, I still think I would fight you a little bit on the whole the killing the man for the blood type okay. thing as a sacrifice. I think it just, it's... It it just goes to show how much a sacrifice, how little a sacrifice okay. can mean and still okay. be a sacrifice. Fair. And I think it's designed to act as a parallel mm. to the town 
like yeah they do say like you know we have to like close our doors and windows and just like not listen yeah. to the sounds like we know what we're mm-hmm. doing is wrong and i mean i don't think meg is sitting here going yes killing people is good people would see me and go yes meg you're mm-hmm. good keep killing she knows it's ending someone's life and it's the sacrifices that we truly feel something for and that truly mm. affect us that really make the difference and really have meaning. Ooh, I really like that. And that actually like dovetails really nicely with my last instance of sacrifice, which is Emily. Yeah, oh. it's Emily sacrificing the prosperity of her town in order to do what's right. Oh, I didn't even think of that one. I totally right. And it's one. it's funny because it's so evident when you look back. You're like, oh yeah, of course. But that was mm-hmm. the last one that I came up with. <laughs> I was like, oh Ooh. yeah, that's true. She does do that. But I think even that one, if you look at it from a very like wide angle lens, almost goes back a bit to I don't want to compare Emily to Meg, but it's destroying something you have virtually no connection to and you actually think is a good thing to do yes she accepts the fact that she'll you know be paying Mm -hmm. for something uh, in the town's prosperity and safety but at that moment i don't think she cares i don't think there's a part of like yes i understand what i'm doing is going to hurt some people whether it be financially or you know in some small way but i don't care i want this thing dead because it's the right thing to do which is not that far removed from Meg. Meg is killing something, not caring about the consequence or what it's doing, knowing there's a consequence. She knows this person's life is going to end and he'll be found dead, and that might affect somebody. But at the end of the day, it's furthering her objective, which, albeit, is a little less meaningful than the vengeance side and the saving people in the future side mm-hmm. for Emily. But I, I think, again, it almost goes to show it helps paint that picture of how many different views you can take of a sacrifice and how there's such a gamut to what you're giving up versus what you're gaining. Last episode, we were talking about how the people who are with Sam and Dean when they get separated are actually important because they act as mirrors for the boy that they are actually with. Um, So here we have Meg with Sam and we have Emily with Dean. (laughs) Meg is clearly some kind of evil spirit. We don't quite know what she is yet. Mm -hmm. She she is evil. We know that. Whereas Emily, well, she, I mean, she's a light bringer, right? She knows that what's happening in the town is wrong. And the moment that she has an opportunity to right the wrong, she puts Dean on the track to the vanner. And, you know, I guess we'll see what what all of that means as the story progresses. I mean, between Emily and Dean, the only one that jumps to mind right now is just their goal to do good. I can't really see yeah. anything deeper than that. I mean, that's not a bad one, but like not as deep as I found with others in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Between Dean and uh, between Dean and Meg was the other one you said. Sorry, Sam. Or no, and Sam Meg. and Meg. I mean, how much of her story is true? But the whole running away from family story that she feeds him, which kind of feels like she's just doing it for the sake of like connecting to him, but yeah. it's there. Yeah. So, yeah, there, I mean, the story is there. We do find out that it's not really true eventually. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is that, so Emily and Dean are, are concerned about the good of the community, mm-hmm. right? Dean cares about the family business and, and hunting for the sake of, of saving people. And Emily cares about ending the Vanner to make sure that nobody else dies, even if it means that her town will lose the prosperity that it's enjoyed. Um, 
And Meg and Sam are both on a path of like personal gain and and in very different ways, right? Sam wants to go get his dad in order to find the demon that killed his mom and his girlfriend. And Meg, we're not too sure, but clearly she is on her own path for something, right? Mm. Where we can say with pretty good certainty that it's not going to be for the good of the community. But it's um, definitely a, I'm on my own path. I am, yes, you know, I'm in control exactly. of my own destiny again, which I wasn't before yeah. is the kind of the vibe she gives. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I see where you were taking this and I definitely, I think I was very focused on my first reading of them that the second one didn't mm-hmm. really pop until it was handed to me, but I'm glad, I, I'm glad it's there for both of them. <laughs> Welcome to Critical Time, where I get to do one of my favorite parts of the show. As much as I am learning to love so many details, my passion of mythology and lore and creatures gets put into uh, use. And I actually have an article pulled up here only for the simplicity of reading. So what they cover in the show about the veneer, or how did you pronounce it? I feel like you pronounced it better than me. I said Vanner, Vanner, because I feel like that's how they pronounce it in the episode. Yeah, but... Vanner. I think that's better. So they would actually set up a, uh, I guess, a pre-Scarecrow Scarecrow uh, to embody a physical form of uh, the Vonner to protect the lands. It was also, the more realistic view is it was seen as a horrible, scary monster from this tribe of strangers. So people fled Mm -hmm. from it and suddenly the land was vacant for them. Kind of a coincidence. (laughs) Uh, Which I guess is where the protection part comes from, the scaring off Mm. others. Um. Mm -hmm. And what I found really interesting in looking them up is, the, though the term Vonner does sort of just mean uh, spirit or nature spirit, there's also subcategories of like sea spirits. So like, a, I, I'm yeah. trying to pronounce any of these. My, remind <laughs> me to send you this, but like F-J-A-L-I-V, the A-E together, T-T-I-R for mountain spirit. Yeah. Like, but like, again, they are a nature spirit. And they are considered mm-hmm. to be, like, if you look at how our mythology or, like, our fantasy tropes kind of have the classic dwarf, elf, uh, mm-hmm. you know, giant. In Norse, you had giants, you had elves, you had dwarfs, and you had uh, Vonner. Those were kind of the mm. four typical things you had. And I guess it's just, it's, we translated to spirit or, uh, you know, uh, okay. something along those lines, depending on like, a specter, a phantom, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's just nice to see them actually taking a really respectful and very accurate angle on this i haven't really found too many examples of sacrifices being made to it but sacrifices to appease spirits is still common across many religions uh, both pre and every type of force there is some further folklore but i'm not gonna get too much we don't really dabble that much but i just thought it was a really interesting take on this norse spirit that mm-hmm. really does what it says. It is a creature that is there to protect and the people and they're on their land and make the land safe for those people by protecting it. In this case, keeping it flourishing and alive despite other land around it clearly isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and That's even the fact so that it was cool. brought over, like the idea of the tree being brought over yep. with the, the yep. actual, I'd love to look up those runes and try to figure out how accurate they are, but they do seem to have a Norse or a Nordic feel to them, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I was really happy with with the lore. It, f- I mean, it felt authentic, um, and it was because, pretty close. 
yeah, there you go. So yeah, congrats. Ten out of ten for this. Good yeah. job. Sol- a solid A, even an A plus, I'd say. Yeah. The one thing that I will say, and Ooh. this is more very much on a production standpoint. Oh, I'm intrigued to hear because um, I have some thoughts on this too. Well, because they took us into an quote unquote orchard, mm-hmm. but I mean, we live in an area that has a lot of orchards, so we've seen them often. Yeah. Have you ever seen orchards like the ones, like the one that they took us into? No, the, I'll, I'll admit, as far as orchards go, it feels like this is an orchard they built to film in more conveniently yes. rather than being realistic. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's, it's the kind of thing that we can nitpick, but I don't think is drastic. Oh my god, really? For me, it's so weird. Like, I get very weirded out whenever people, like, show outdoor places that are not what they're supposed to be. It, like, breaks disbelief instantly. That is so interesting. And so I actually looked up the type of, like, what they could have possibly mm-hmm. been in. And it looks like they might have just been in, uh, like, in a bunch of hazelnut trees. Hmm. My nitpick with the visuals for this episode is the fact that I think this is my favorite design for a Monster of the Week. Ooh, okay. I, I thoroughly enjoy this... I love the Uncanny Valley. I think the Uncanny Valley as an effect and as a concept, uh, I, sorry, I realize I'm talking about the Uncanny Valley and for any listeners who don't know what this is, because it is a term that not everyone is familiar with, I've learned. It essentially is that thing that is close enough to looking human, but not right. I feel like if you've Mm. ever seen a clip online of um, a robot designed to show human emotions... There's just that little bit of, like, it's close but not close enough that your brain kind of doesn't know how to deal with it. If you think about things on, like, a a graph, you have one end, which is things that are human, and the other end, things that are not human. And as those two kind of come together in the middle, that very bottom of the graph right in the middle, and it's like, you can't tell whether it's human Mm. or not. Like, everything says this should be human, but you know it isn't. That's yeah. the Uncanny Valley. Do we have a second to just talk a little bit about the influences of this episode? Yes, I saw these as your topic, and I'm curious to know what this, where you're going with this. Well, so because I, I'm trying to make a point here that Supernatural is very influenced by previous work, much like any other TV show, but this is a genre <laughs> TV show. I think that there's a lot of value in understanding the work that Supernatural is based on. And yes, I am laying a very obvious foundation for anybody who knows where I'm going with this. I think that I is going not this. for today. That is not for today. What I want to discuss right now is what has influenced this particular episode. Again, these are works that I'm I'm not personally familiar with, but This is things that I found online and people discussing this. So um, we can see that the the plot of this episode has a lot of similarities with uh, The Wickerman, which is a 1973 film. Have you seen it? I have seen the Nicolas Cage remake of it. Ah, yes. In 2006, I believe. Yes. If any of our listeners would like to go watch this movie, the original, I'm sure, is great. Please avoid the Nicolas Cage one. It is... While the story is still present and the, the points and themes it brings up are still valid, and as much as I have a fondness for Nicolas Cage in some roles, 
This is not one of them. Please do yourselves the favor and avoid this one. Just to give our listeners a recap, basically the story of this movie is that the locals in uh, a rural area, like a small town, uh, sacrifice people to a pagan god uh, to keep the community prosperous, which is basically exactly what's happening. It's the premise of this episode. But you know what was shot prior to 2005? The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. Yes, the only movie I, I... Sorry, one of only two movies I ever walked out of. Oh. I mean, to be very okay. honest, I walked out of it. The only other movie playing in the theater was Yu-Gi-Oh! the movie. And then I walked out of that one to go back to the village. Oh, okay. So you <laughs> saw the ending. Yeah, so I, I've seen... I think I missed like two minutes in the middle and I have since gone back to rewatch all of his works for a project. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could definitely see the inspirations and the connections in it. It it does follow, um, if I may this time share the plot, it is a village in the middle of the woods that has their own sacrificial um, rites, and there is a creature living in these woods, and spoiler alert, the end reveals that it might not be what we think it is, both mm-hmm. the creature, the village, and the forest. Yep. I'll, uh, I'll leave a there little mystery go. there. It's Yeah, of course. <sighs> Uh, you know what? On revisit for the story, it's an okay watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was not when I watched it. I wasn't really familiar with the horror genre, like or or that particular genre. Uh, I'd always avoided it, and so when I watched it, I thought it was mind blowing because it was like one of my first introductions to this style, this especially this storytelling style. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I can understand that. I, I, I'm sure that if I were to rewatch it, I'd be like. Issues, but oh, uh, yeah, there's, but there's at plenty. the time it was definitely something that made an impression on me. And then finally, the last thing that I want to mention is that the urban legend in this particular episode sort of seems a lot or sounds a lot like the plot of a Neil Gaiman sci-fi novel called American Gods. I honestly, in- it's been on my list of media to consume for a long time. I'm just not a big reader, but I do love Gaiman's work in many other areas. Well, I feel like this would be right up your alley, though, because this is basically where Odin, Loki, and Thor are remanifested and recruited in order to fight the new American gods. I am so on board on buying the book tonight. Right? So I feel like this would be up your alley. 1,000%. You should definitely give it a try. <laughs> Sorry, continue on this topic because I realize there's one other piece of media that clearly this draws inspiration from that has not been mentioned yet. Please go ahead. There is another horror movie that uh, unfortunately got a sequel, which was way worse than the original, but they are both pre-2005, and that is the movie series Jeepers Creepers. Oh! Uh, Very classic slasher. I think it it, it was trying to follow in the footsteps of a Jason, a Freddy, uh, that kind Mm. of just, it's it's a thing, it's out there to kill you, it's, you know, nothing special, but it is a scarecrow type creature that is taking body parts from people people there and conveniently the second movie may have starred a certain actress who later went on to play Megan Supernatural No way Yup I knew I recognized her during the show so I had to look her up and of course her top bill besides Supernatural is Jeepers Creepers 2 Wow So the fact oh, that, that they so introduced cool. her in this episode I thought was way <gasps> too funny yeah oh my god that is too funny i love that thank you so much for making that connection i, I was like that's why like every time you were announcing the next thing on your list i'm like and jeepers creepers no and jeepers creepers. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm glad i got to share that one with you that's a very fun oh, one for the amazing. audience that's why i'm bringing up 
all of this because previous works influence how we look at a particular piece of media. And so it's very important to be aware of what Supernatural is based on. And that's where I will leave it for this week. I think that's a beautiful ending. Thank you. Shall we listen to our voicemail? Yes. Hi, Mary, Drew, Rochelle, and Caring Wayward listeners. I'm Ashley. I'm Rochelle's fiance. I'm calling in as a fan of Caring Wayward and also as a first-time watcher of Supernatural. Um, Once you guys started this project, I decided that it was finally time for me to watch, and I'm really glad that I did. Um, I've been really enjoying it, even though I, uh, I, every single episode haunts me for the week. I get scared, um, but it's really enjoyable and I'm really enjoying the, um, brotherhood aspect of it. But I think the thing that keeps me going in this show is that I am so curious about what happened to their father. What happened? Um, and I feel like if by the end of first season, I don't know, I don't, I, it's just going to keep pulling me along and I'm going to be living in curiosity forever. Um, but I think that this in the interim, as we're waiting to find out what happened to this father, it's a really cool thing to watch the, the two brothers sort of reveal not just their relationship now and, and it's in its new form as they're gallivanting across the country together, um, but also as they're sharing tidbits of their lived experiences growing up together as siblings, something that anyone with siblings can totally relate to, especially as you come into adult life and you both start sharing what your experience was growing up because it's not always the same In fact, it's usually not the same. You have individual experience. So I find that really interesting about these two. And that just gives me more excitement about finding out what happened to this father. And hopefully he's alive and he gets to come back in. And he is this third person in that group, uh, in this family dynamic that we haven't heard from yet. So I'm really excited to hear from him and see what he brings to the table about how he's impacted them both and and you know we have one sibling who uh clearly enjoyed their growing up experience is walking in their father's footsteps uh effortlessly it seems and the other who feels really slighted and had a really difficult time growing up um and i feel like i as a sibling of multiple um multiple kids in the family i can relate to both in ways and i i love that so for a show that's, you know, supernatural, there's it's really quite human. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it and uh, I'm excited to watch more and also to listen more to Carrying Wayward. Carrying Wayward. That that's how you say it. <laughs> Ashley, I'm so happy that you called in with a voicemail. I don't know where to start. <laughs> so First things first, honestly, I have to say that I so absolutely agree with you and how you're seeing the way that Sam and Dean are reconciling to some degree, like their vision of their childhood. Um, I think that I I slightly see their growing up experience differently than what you described, but I can really understand how at this point in the series, that's how you would see it. That's how it's meant to be seen, frankly. So that's fine. But yeah, what you're describing, basically two people living 
the same experience and yet living it totally differently is something that anyone can relate to. And it's really something that Drew and I try to make sense of in this podcast. Uh, We're both watching the same episode and yet sometimes we come up with such different understandings of it. And that's... That's hermeneutics. It's the merging of horizons. It's saying, wow, I haven't seen this part that you're describing. And thank you so much for sharing it with me. And so I will say thank you so much for sharing that vision of the brothers with us. First, I will say thank you. That was a lovely voicemail. I My cheeks legitimately hurt from smiling while listening to it. I feel like I really want you to record yourself as you listen to this episode and your own recording after having watched Scarecrow because some of the questions you have posed in your voicemail may not come out the way you want them to. And I am very sorry that you are now on this train with us into some heartbreak and emotional distress that we're learning to live with. But ultimately, I think you bring up some very good points and really it goes to show what they're able to do with such limited time in each episode to share so much content, so much humanity. It's really impressive how well they are able to write these boys and not just make you love them because they're handsome, rugged, and amazing, which I mean, they are, but also that they are so human, as you put it. There is yeah. so many layers to them. They are... They're not, you know, Shaggy, Scooby, Fred, Velma, and Daphne, who you can describe with a single bullet point each. They are so many different layers of complex human emotion and feelings and history and what they can be and what they will be and where they'll go. I have to say that I love how whenever we have like a first-time listener of Supernatural call in, <laughs> we're, we're always saying something like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I think it's a weirdly cute train to be on, though. I, I kind of like the idea of, like, we understand the show is difficult to watch. It's a heavy emotional load. And yeah. it's not the kind of thing... No, no one really goes, hey, can I have a bucket of heartbreak real quick? Like, I'm sorry that you are jumping on this train. Like, yes, the end will be worth it because you'll have grown and you'll have learned and you will live. But you're going to have to deal with a lot of hurt feelings along the way. I feel like we should just rename Supernatural to Bucket of Hurt. (laughs) I have a very interesting crossroads this week. Go ahead, please. I'm interested. I, like I said, I really enjoyed this episode. Mm -hmm. I think the only way it could have been better. Oh, you're going to hate me for this. Would have been to ditch Sam the entire time. Oh, okay. So here, so again, you need, there needs to be a sacrifice. Like, I'm not just saying ditching Sam as a sacrifice because my full deal would be to fire an arrow at random. I don't know what's coming up. I don't know what episode I could be hitting, but I am saying knock an episode out of the season between now and the end in order to give us this episode of just Dean and another Mm. episode of just Sam which would have allowed us to maybe expand more on... Because I feel like Sam was really slighted, though we got development and we get that really good opening of his and that very good closure moment and that little thing in the middle where he, like, realizes to go save Dean and, you know, like, family matters. Yeah. It's very sam light, Mm. And I think having us really get a 
like I almost feel like it's that kind of cliche like uh you get a day with dad like a take your kid to work day your siblings stay home and dad takes just you to work or mom takes just you to work and you get like a a father son or a mother son or mother daughter com whatever combination it, we get a day with just dean we get to see just dean doing dean and mm. yes he misses sam we clearly see that and we didn't even touch on those little moments where even he comments how like you know if sam were here you'd be eating out of the palm of his hand basically like <gasps> yeah. he knows what he doesn't do well and to see him struggle with those was so great i would have loved to have more of it and yes I might be shooting myself in the foot. I might watch the... Re I I'd love to, at the end of the season, remind me to come back to this conversation and go, is there an episode you could have lived without? Would you have like been have happy to have lost? Or were they all <laughs> gold from here on out? And I would have been like, damn, I really glad my wish didn't come true. But I would love to have then had next episode be, start with, they've already... Like, even if it's like a little like quick recap of them splitting up and we're now seeing what Sam did in the same timeline and yeah. getting his whole day... And then have it kind of end with, like, you know, leave last ep leave Scarecrow as a cliffhanger of Ono Dean, and then have Sam come to the rescue at the end of his own episode. But give us a full Sam episode and flesh out more, have more adventures with Meg, even if it's just one, two days, whatever it is, I think would be so valuable. So basically, your Crossroads deal goes against what everyone who was watching the show at the time would have wanted. Really? Yes, because everyone watching the show wanted to see the brothers all the time. Like, that's all they wanted. Every time that a new character, like, inches in a little bit, you see that characters don't last very long in True. in the first few seasons. Um, and that's in part because of the way the story is written, but it's also in part because of fan reactions. And we'll get into that a bit later. Huh. Um. But yeah, the fans, I don't know if you remember the voicemail that we got from Carol earlier this season where she said that it was such a different show because it didn't hinge on romantic tropes. And and so basically people were hungry for seeing the brothers bond change and to see how they navigate life together, basically. So I find it interesting that 15 years later, you're like, yeah, I would have liked to see them separate a little bit. <laughs> On my end, my crossroads deal is that I wish we had known more about Emily. Yeah, we don't get a lot of Emily. No, we really don't. I mean, she mentions her parents died in a car accident, but like, did they really? Or were they also sacrificed to the Vonner? <gasps> I didn't even think of that. I mean, it just seems so weird to me, right? My aunt and uncle took me in. Like, it just, I don't know. It seemed weird. The whole thing was off. Mm-hmm. And I mean, overall, her character felt pretty empty for someone who, like, defied the status quo of the town and led Dean to the Vonner in the first place, you know? It just... I wish we had known a little bit more. I wish she had been a bit more fleshed out. Um, and in order to get this, I feel like I would have also cut in the Sam and Meg time. <laughs> <laughs> we found our episode's flaw, we agree. Yeah, so definitely not a fan of that. I understand narratively why they had to do it that way, but I, anyway, I'm just, yeah, it's the little thing that bugged me. But that's it. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, I feel, I feel like we've done this a lot. I think every time we've had a new character join the roster for an episode, a uh, a new uh, cohort of the week, uh, we had it mm -hmm. with, uh, with Missouri, we had it with Kat last week. 
and I feel like Kat, they flushed out despite the little time they gave her. They gave her a lot of character. So there it's surprising go. that Emily really doesn't get much. No, Emily doesn't get much at all compared to what Kat gets. Yeah, and like things I, mean, I can tell you about yeah. Emily. She is blonde. She wears a blue top the entire time. Her name is written on a necklace. Her parents are dead. That's the end of my list. Basically, right? I always like that weird kind of like we land sort of on the same thing. I feel like we've done it once or twice now where we like agree yeah. on like this is the only yeah. flaw really. There's a, there's a flaw that is obvious enough we both want to give it up even yeah. though others might see it as a benefit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, sometimes you just have to make a sacrifice. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano hosted by Mehdi Vigahu and myself, Drew Shulman. This week, we'd like to thank Ashley for her voicemail. You can send us your voice recordings at carryingwayward at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram using at carryingwayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. Leave us a review on whatever platform you choose. It really does help us out. Until next week. Carry on, our wayward friends.